Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. You can find information on previous and future presentations on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts, and you can see the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Howard Weil. Howard is an Associate Research Professor and Executive Director of the Center for Urban Economic Development at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and a non-resident senior fellow of the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. His research focuses on manufacturing and urban and regional economic development, and he is co-author of New Rules for a New Economy and a co-editor of the series Urban and Regional Policy and Its Effects. Emerging manufacturing technologies, like 3D printing, promise to revolutionize the way things are made. But will they also revolutionize the spatial pattern of metropolitan development? Could these technologies lead to a radical decentralization of manufacturing? Professor Weil is here tonight to help us try to answer these and other questions related to how trends in manufacturing may influence land use needs and spatial development patterns. Please join me in welcoming Howard Weil. Thanks, David. Um, it's great to be here uh, on this uh, nice summery day. Uh, glad uh, that uh, those of you who are able to make it have shown up. Um, the, there are robust conversations going on right now in policy and planning circles uh, about manufacturing technologies and about the, pattern, the spatial pattern of metropolitan development. But these have largely been uh, two very, very separate conversations. And what I want to do uh, in tonight's talk is to suggest some connections between those two conversations, um, suggest that we should be thinking uh, about those connections. So to begin, uh, let me give you just an impressionistic sketch to um, uh, to whet your appetite and to suggest the possibilities for connections before we delve into uh, a more detailed and, and rigorous analysis. Um, consider the assembly line, perhaps the, uh, the biggest, uh, most widespread manufacturing technology uh, of the early and mid-20th century. Uh, at least in its post-World War II manifestation, um, assembly lines uh, were built in large factories, and those factories occupied large plots of land. And because they were um, noisy and in other ways unpleasant to uh, live near or conduct other businesses near, um, we saw a separation of residential and industrial uses and a, and a demand for zoning to create a separation of residential and industrial uses uh, where that didn't otherwise come about. Um, so that's the land use pattern that came about along with, perhaps in part as a consequence of uh, the advent of the assembly line. Today, the, one of the new hot technologies uh, that's um, a major subject of conversation in manufacturing and policy circles is 3D printing, also known as additive manufacturing. And many people think that 3D printing uh, might herald a reversal of that previous pattern of land use uh, that was ushered in by, or at least along with, uh, the assembly line. Uh, one journalist uh, exuberantly uh, described 3D printing as uh, leading to a factory in every home. Uh, basically, you would be able to make all sorts of things that you now uh, go and buy from retail stores, which buy them from manufacturers. You'd be able to buy them, or rather, you'd be able to make them uh, yourself at home. So that suggests a really radical decentralization of production. And with production going on in your house, uh, potentially uh, a pretty tight integration of residential and industrial uses, a complete reversal of the pattern uh, that we saw earlier on in the 20th century. Here's a 3D printed uh, image of a city. Uh, before going into the analysis, I want to uh, clarify what 
I do want to talk about and what I don't want to talk about today. First of all, what does it mean to say that technology has an impact on spatial structure? Well, I'm not a technological determinist. I don't think that uh, it means that uh, um, 3D printing automatically produces a particular form uh, of a metropolitan area, just like this um, uh, little image here. Um, Rather, I think uh, different technologies uh, create different patterns of costs and benefits for businesses and for residents, and those different patterns of costs and benefits are associated with different locations, and they lead uh, businesses and residents to make different kinds of decisions uh, about where they want to be. So that's what I think the general nature of the connection is. Uh, I am an economist, and I'm going to be discussing the subject uh, using perspectives drawn from economics and economic geography. Uh, This is a data-free, rather speculative uh, talk. Uh, It is theory-based, basically because there aren't any data available. Uh, The uh, technologies uh, are too new, and they haven't been investigated in the context of land use in any systematic way. I hope that discussions like this will change that. Uh, But as of now, um, we're going to be uh, engaging in a purely theoretical uh, exploration. I'm only going to talk about technologies, not other forces uh, that may happen to shape land use patterns uh, that may come along with technologies. Uh, And I'm only going to talk about the use of manufacturing technologies, not their production. So I don't worry about um, where 3D printers themselves are made. Uh, but I care about the spatial manifestations of the use of 3D printers by households and especially by other manufacturers. Um, I care about the effects of the new technologies uh, not only on the locations of manufacturers, which might seem kind of obvious, but also on the locations of non-manufacturing companies and households, uh, which will react to Uh, manufacturers' decisions. And and finally, why think about manufacturing technologies as an important influence on land use when manufacturing is um, barely 9% of total employment? Well, it's a small fraction of total employment, but it's a disproportionate share of land use because uh, manufacturing facilities Uh, even though, as I'll argue, they're getting smaller, they have the potential to get smaller, are still larger on average, uh, take up more land than other kinds of businesses. So they're going to exert a disproportionate impact uh, on land use patterns. So first I want to lay out a conceptual framework, uh, drawing on ideas from economics and economic geography, and then I want to go through some of the major new and emerging manufacturing technologies and apply that framework uh, to them, uh, thinking about how they may affect land use patterns. And then I'll conclude. So one of the most important uh, influences on land use is agglomeration economies, uh, which are cost or productivity advantages uh, that exist because of geographic proximity, because companies are located near each other or near residents. And they lead to the familiar uh, phenomenon that we're uh, we're all used to here of geographic clustering of businesses uh, within the same industry or in different industries. Um, more generally, they lead to the creation of metropolitan areas and large metropolitan areas. And because of those productivity uh, advantages, uh, they generally lead to higher wages. Where do they come from? Well, there are several uh, sources that are pretty familiar. One is companies that have common skill needs. If companies have common skill needs, uh, they're going to want to locate near where the workers who have those needed skills are located, which will lead them to locate near each other. Uh, That will uh, reduce their costs uh, for hiring workers uh, and make it easier to find the workers that they need. Um, A second source of agglomeration economies is needs for proximity to something other than workers. So manufacturers uh, may find it advantageous to be located near suppliers. They may find it advantageous to be located near highways or railroads. Uh, They may find it useful to be near uh, R&D facilities and so on. Uh, Particularly in the early stages of 
manuf of uh, manufacturing technology. Uh, manufacturers, as well as other companies, may need face-to-face -face communication. There are just ideas um, that can only be communicated in person, even in the age of the Internet. Uh, so that's a reason for geographic clustering of companies. And finally, entrepreneurship. Uh, companies just getting started have a variety of needs, uh, technological and organizational, uh, that they can generally meet better by being located near a wide variety of other companies, other sources of expertise. Number two, amenity values. Uh, basic, basic idea is that um, households are willing to pay more to move away from land uses that they don't want to live near. And richer households are willing to pay more than poorer households uh, to get away from things that they don't like. Uh, so secondarily, this leads to, uh, reinforces the demand for zoning uh, to separate different kinds of uses, to separate residents uh, from uh, other kinds of uses that uh, are less pleasant. And uh, as a result of the process of moving away, being willing to pay more uh, to get away from things you, you don't want to live near, um, under certain circumstances, you can get the now familiar phenomena of gentrification and displacement uh, which uh, can also exist, as I'll suggest later, uh, in a, uh, a modified form uh, as a result of some of the new manufacturing technologies. Transportation costs, another important uh, influence on land use. In general, low lower transportation costs uh, make it more advantageous for firms to spread out uh, geographically. Uh, they don't need to be uh, located as close to the other things uh, that they need to be located near, whether that is uh, suppliers uh, or workers or sources of R&D and so on. Uh, as transportation costs uh, go down, uh, uh, they can be located further away from those things uh, and still have uh, the same or even perhaps lower costs. Uh, new technologies can also affect transportation costs by uh, creating new modes of transportation that may increase or decrease costs. For example, uh, when uh, trucks became uh, an important mode of transportation, uh, that lowered transportation costs over short to moderate distances. Um, in addition, lighter weight products, which can be the result, as I'll argue later, are the result of uh, at least some of the new technologies, uh, reduce shipping costs per unit. Uh, it's cheaper to ship lighter weight things than heavier things. Number three, scale economies at the level of the individual factory. Large-scale production is cheaper when fixed costs are high. So an assembly line is this big integrated um, set of machines um, that are located in a particular place. Um, it's expensive to create an assembly line. Um, in order to make best use of an assembly line, you need to crack out large volumes of product. Um, when you have assembly lines, as I suggested earlier, uh, you get large factories uh, in order to make uh, optimal use of, uh, of the assembly line. And at least in the post-World War II period, uh, when uh, uh, land accessible by highway was cheap, uh, those large factories tended to get built on large parcels of land. Uh, and that tended to be a force for disagglomerating manufacturing, uh, making, it want to, making manufacturers want to move um, out of the central parts of large metropolitan areas toward the outlying portions of large metropolitan areas, toward smaller uh, metropolitan areas, and even toward non-metropolitan areas. And that, in fact, uh, has been the pattern uh, during the 20th century. Uh, whether it will continue to be the pattern um, uh, is something we'll talk about later. Uh, when scale economies are low, um, on the other hand, uh, you get the whole process perhaps in reverse. Um, there are more opportunities for smaller manufacturers. Those smaller manufacturers uh, don't need the big parcels of land, uh, so they are more likely to locate in metropolitan areas, in larger metropolitan areas, and in the denser portions of large metropolitan areas. Input requirements. Uh, this refers to the extent to which uh, production 
makes differential use of different kinds of inputs like labor, land, and capital. Uh, when you have labor-intensive production, there are a lot of jobs uh, in each factory. Um, if production becomes less labor-intensive, then you have fewer jobs in each factory. Now, there's been a lot of talk recently about whether uh, increasing automation of factories means the disappearance of jobs. In general, uh, I, like most economists, would say it doesn't necessarily. Um, it hasn't in the past. That doesn't mean it will never, um, but this is not in the past, and I, I don't think uh, in the present, uh, an important source of disappearing jobs. Uh, the reason is because automation reduces the number of workers that you need to make any given amount of product, but that's only, that only tells you what's going to happen to total employment if the amount that you're producing uh, stays constant. But when you automate factories, uh, production costs go down, and that makes it possible to expand the market for whatever the factories are producing. And when the market expands, there's more demand for the product, and more workers are needed. So on the one hand, you need fewer workers to produce the same amount of stuff. On the other hand, you're going to produce more stuff, and that leads to a demand for more workers. And historically, uh, through the 20th century, uh, it has been true that the latter effect dominated the former, that when you had automation, um, although some workers certainly got displaced, uh, you generally had an increase in manufacturing employment, and that was true um, pretty obviously up through 1979 when uh, U.S. manufacturing employment peaked. Um, and uh, I think it was even true um, after that. There's statistical evidence that suggests that um, uh, it, conti it has continued uh, and that it's still continuing, um, that uh, the disappearance of manufacturing jobs was due to other forces uh, besides automation, things like offshoring. Um, Another thing that automation may result in is higher wages. After all, uh, factories become more productive. Um, the market has some forces that would lead you to think that that would get translated into higher pay for workers. Um, in the past, that has been a pretty strong force. In the last couple of decades, it's been a weaker force. So um, you know, I think you're going to uh, uh, see some pressure for increased wages as a result of automation, but not, um, not what we saw uh, in the mid-20th uh, century. So those are the basic concepts that I want to use in talking about manufacturing technologies. And I'm going to talk about some of the leading manufacturing technologies uh, that are new or emerging uh, that have been um, identified as being important by consulting firms like McKinsey and um, uh, other recent reports by the National Academies of Sciences and uh, the MIT uh, Commission on uh, Production in the Innovation Economy. And I've grouped the um, technologies together to go from more specific to more general. Uh, this generally is going to correspond to a grouping that goes from uh, narrower to potentially broader impacts. So let's start with something very, very narrow um, that applies only to one industry, modular pharmaceutical manufacturing. Uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing is mostly done now on big campuses, uh, such as those up in Lake County uh, in this area. Um, modular pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, makes it possible to do pharmaceutical manufacturing in small, programmable factories uh, that are reusable for different drugs. The current practice is to basically build a factory that is dedicated to uh, a particular kind of pharmaceutical. Uh, these modular factories uh, would, would um, uh, be reusable for different kinds of pharmaceuticals. Uh, this makes small batch production less expensive. Right now, um, it's more economical to do large runs uh, of a particular drug. Um, small niche production uh, is, is much less economical. Uh, this new technology will make it more economical. Uh, it is even possible to take these small programmable factories and put them onto trains like shipping containers and move them from place to place. Uh, so that potentially means that 
more locations are in competition with each other for pharmaceutical production. Uh, technology experts think that there's going to be a large near-term, meaning within the next five to ten years, impact um, of modular manufacturing on uh, pharmaceutical production. So what might this do to land use? Well, it would probably reduce internal scale economies somewhat, um, but probably not enough to change firm size or land use patterns a lot. You're still mostly going to be doing pharmaceutical manufacturing in this area on big campuses in Lake County. Uh, over time, maybe the campuses will require a little bit less uh, land, but uh, you're not going to see pharmaceuticals, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing in this area moving uh, to downtown Chicago or uh, the UIC area. Um, as I suggested uh, a couple of minutes ago, you're also uh, likely to see more intense competition for pharmaceutical manufacturing among regions uh, that have pharmaceutical R&D. You need pharmaceutical R&D uh, to be in the pharmaceutical manufacturing game at all. Um, because we have pharmaceutical R&D around here, that's one of the uh, major reasons why we have pharmaceutical manufacturing um, in this metropolitan area. So it's the set of metropolitan areas around the world that have major pharmaceutical R&D centers that are the places that are increasingly going to be competing for pharmaceutical manufacturing. We've already seen a major, major um, shift toward more tax-based competition um, among regions for pharmaceutical manufacturing. Uh, the introduction of, mar of modular pharmaceutical manufacturing, which... Um, makes it possible to take these little factories and put them on a train and transport them uh, around the world uh, just intensifies that kind of uh, competition. So Chicago will be more and more in competition with other major pharmaceutical manufacturing areas such as in this country, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and around the world, um, other places like Zurich. Second uh, major technology, uh, not one that in any way is restricted to manufacturing, but one that will have important impacts on manufacturing uh, is cloud computing. So this means um, instead of software being on your uh, desktop computer, uh, it's on remote servers. And data um, will be processed and stored remotely. And those of you who, do, who use uh, services like Box and Dropbox have already uh, experienced this. Um, there will only be more of it in the future. Um, with remote servers, um, uh, servers can be really huge. Uh, the analysis of big data becomes more and more feasible uh, because the space constraint on storing the data uh, is relaxed. And we're already seeing this, as I said before, uh, and technology experts uh, think that there will be a huge impact on production by manufacturers from cloud computing uh, within about the next uh, 10 to dozen years. What are the possible impacts? Well, probably some reduction of internal scale economies because you don't uh, need to have your own uh, IT workers on site if you're a manufacturer and you don't need uh, to put software on your own computers. And that's probably pretty small impact on land use overall, but it is a little bit. Um, more important, I think, is that it creates more uh, opportunities for smaller manufacturers to be able to analyze big data uh, to improve their operations in ways that only the largest manufacturers can now use, uh, can now do. And smaller manufacturers are more likely to locate on smaller parcels of land in metropolitan areas, larger metropolitan areas, and the denser portions of metropolitan areas. So you're going to see some force, maybe a weak one, but some force uh, of cloud computing toward a, um, a redensification and recentralization of manufacturing. On the other hand, um, there's some disagglomerative potential also. Uh, manufacturers don't need to be located in the same place as IT specialists. The server farms can be located far away from the manufacturers. Um, and it also becomes increasingly possible for people to collaborate using these uh, remote uh, data tools 
uh, in, uh, online rather than in person. And you know, is that actually disagglomerative? Well, you might think it is. It's, uh, if once you can collaborate online, you can collaborate with someone halfway around the world, perhaps just as easily as you can collaborate with someone uh, in, in the same room. Um, but that's not necessarily true, um, or that's not necessarily the only thing that's going on. After all, um, with the advent of internet-based communication, uh, we didn't see face-to-face -face communication and collaboration collapse. In fact, we saw even more of it, uh, because uh, as people start to collaborate uh, more and more, um, they start to find, they start to develop new ideas, and new ideas uh, are often best developed face-to-face, -face, uh, even in a world where there's, there's internet-based communication. So which of these two uh, forces is going to win out, the disagglomerative or the agglomerative, is somewhat uncertain. Uh, you know, I tend to think, based on the uh, experience with other modes of communication, from the telephone to the internet, uh, that overall the agglomerative uh, forces are going to win out, but uh, that's not universal. There is going to be uh, more possibility for long-distance uh, collaboration, too, um, and that will uh, weaken the bonds of some manufacturers to being located near other manufacturers or near uh, residents or R&D facilities. Robotics. Um, robots are more mobile and flexible than they have ever been before. Uh, they're also becoming cheaper. Um, it's now possible to have robots that uh, can work alongside people in factories and even to some extent learn from them. Um, so that would lead you to think that um, you're going to see more and more robots in factories. Uh, on the other hand, uh, what robots can do is now limited and for at least the moderate near term, next decade or so, it will still be limited. Uh, there are limits to how quickly robots can work. There are limits to how precise, uh, how precisely they can work, how much, how much detail they can do in their operations. So right now, and probably for the next decade or so, robots are mostly going to be used to do simple, fairly repetitive tasks. Um, there are, as I said, uh, their cost is declining rapidly. There will be more and more of them, uh, but they will be used for those simple, repetitive tasks. What are the spatial impacts, potentially? Well, um, with the decline in the cost of robots, there are more opportunities for smaller manufacturers uh, to use them, whereas in the past they were uh, really the province of large manufacturers. So again, you get this um, uh, recentralization, reagglomeration uh, potential that comes whenever you reduce scale economies. Um, of course, and this is the uh, thing that most people think about first when they think about robots, uh, production will be less labor intensive uh, for any given amount of, uh, of, of stuff that you manufacture. Fewer workers will be needed. But as I suggested before, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that there will be fewer manufacturing workers overall needed. Um, in one area, at least, there's probably going to be an increase in labor demand, and that is a demand for engineers and technicians to uh, repair and program the robots. And that could be a location factor for some user firms that uh, make intensive use of robots. And that may well uh, favor Midwestern manufacturing centers, uh, which have the kinds of uh, engineers and technicians uh, in other forms of manufacturing uh, whose skills can easily be transferred uh, to robotics. Advanced materials. Um, you've heard a lot about nanomanufacturing, nanomaterials. Uh, these are um, novel kinds of materials that uh, uh, are based on existing materials, but their uh, molecules are much, much smaller and they um, have internal structures that make them better in some way. Lightweight materials, materials that can repair themselves, um, nanomaterials. Some of these things are already in use. Um, for example, lightweight materials are currently used in the auto industry and uh, on airplanes. Uh, others potentially are many years away. 
what might these do spatially? Well, one thing they'll do is reduce transportation costs. Um, it's cheaper to ship uh, products that are lighter uh, over a given distance than products that are heavier. So that's a force uh, for decentralization, deagglomeration of manufacturers. Um, this is probably the only um, uh, technology that we'll talk about that um, has both an obvious potential for uh, decentralization, deagglomeration of manufacturing, and is actually um, likely to be in, in use in the near term. Um, also, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about whether there are negative health impacts from some of these lightweight materials, especially nanomaterials. And that uncertainty, as well as uh, negative health impacts that may actually be realized, um, are likely to lead households to want to live far away from manufacturing facilities that use uh, these materials. Uh, so that will reinforce uh, existing tendencies towards separate use zoning, separating manufacturing from non-manufacturing uses. Uh, there's also potential, if labor markets are tight enough, for manufacturing wages to go up if you're working uh, in a factory that produces health hazards. Um, if labor markets are tight enough, then uh, uh, employers have to pay you more uh, in order to get you work to work there. Uh, in the current job market, that's likely to be a pretty weak factor. Um, but uh, uh, we have had times when job markets have been tighter, and we hope that will be true in the future as well. Advanced sensing. So this is um, about putting sensors on pallets and manufactured parts to be able to track uh, where they are at every stage of production and ultimately at every stage uh, from the factory to uh, the end user. And this is a generalization of technologies that uh, you're probably familiar with, uh, global positioning systems, ra radio frequency ID tags. Uh, these are forms of advanced sensing, um, just generalizing it to the manufacturing and transportation process as a whole. Um, the cost of these, th of these sensors is declining rapidly. They're already in use. Um, there's likely to be a large five to 10-year uh, impact on production because the costs are going down rapidly. So what does this mean spatially? Um, well, initially, it's probably the larger firms uh, that are going to make the most use of these advanced sensors. But over the long term, as costs go down, um, there's a reduction in plant-level scale economies. They're going to be more accessible and available to uh, smaller companies. And this leads to the by now familiar dynamic of um, uh, more opportunities for smaller manufacturers. Smaller manufacturers taking over uh, bigger shares of the market uh, and locating in uh, smaller parcels of land, uh, in metropolitan areas, large metropolitan areas, denser portions of large metropolitan areas. Uh, on the workforce side, uh, this technology, as it spreads, will create a demand for uh, logistics specialists and logistics technicians. And that could be a location factor for manufacturers that are using these advanced sensors uh, very intensively. Uh, they want to locate uh, near where those workers are clustered. Um, so places that um, uh, have education and training programs or are otherwise able to attract uh, those logistics workers uh, are going to have an advantage uh, in attracting or retaining companies that uh, make a lot of use of these sensors. Uh, another thing that advanced sensing does that will have a spatial impact is that it removes inefficiencies in the production process. It makes it possible to track uh, where products are, ultimately from every stage, from, uh, from the factory to the end user. Um, so you don't have to uh, waste uh, time and resources uh, trying to track down the product, figure out where it is. Um, when you remove those kinds of uh, inefficiencies, that puts a premium on good freight transportation. Uh, you're taking inefficiencies out of the production process. Uh, in other places, freight transportation uh, potentially still remains a bottleneck. Um, so there will be more and more uh, demand from user firms for good tra uh, freight transportation. And that could also be a location factor for user firms, um, making them uh, want to locate 
uh, in places that have better freight transportation. Well, now we get to um, what everyone's talking about in Chicago, uh, digital manufacturing. Um, as you probably know, uh, the Obama administration uh, recently awarded to uh, a consortium of a Chicago-based consortium of um, Midwestern universities, companies, um, state and local governments, economic development organizations, uh, and other uh, manufacturing support organizations. Um, the Defense Department's uh, Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute. This is one of the uh, institutes uh, that is part of uh, the President's planned uh, National Network for Manufacturing Innovation. Um, so what is this all about? Well, it's basically, in a broad sense, about the use of information technology to cut costs of manufacturing, increase throughput, um, and integrate or remove steps in the manufacturing process, streamlining the manufacturing process. And there are all sorts of potential applications that this has. Um, it has applications uh, in design, prototyping, and testing. Um, one of the things that it promises to do is integrate those three stages uh, of the design and production process. So right now, design is something that industrial designers and engineers do as a, uh, an early stage um, in a manufacturing process. Uh, then after a product is designed, you need to build a prototype, um, and then you need to test the prototype to make sure that it works uh, the way it was designed to do. Well, digital manufacturing promises to uh, make it possible to do all those three things at once online um, with software. So you can design online, and you can create a virtual prototype online, um, and you can test the virtual prototype and know that when the product is finally uh, produced physically, it will conform to uh, what you get out of the digital prototype. Uh, so that removes streamline removes a huge number of uh, different steps in manufacturing and really streamlines the manufacturing process. So that's one of the things uh, we can expect down the line from digital manufacturing and ultimately from the uh, Digital Manufacturing Institute uh, that we're going to have here in Chicago. Uh, second important application potentially for digital manufacturing is to connect suppliers and uh, the manufacturers that they supply um, online. So the ideal of this is to is for a company to be able to shop among suppliers online and then place an order online, basically hit a button and um, uh, trigger the manufacturing process and the shipment of the final good. So the uh, customer firm uh, just has to figure out who it wants to buy from, what it wants uh, them to produce, and then uh, somebody at that company hits a button, and there's an automated process uh, that leads ultimately to the production and the delivery of um, whatever it is that the customer firm wants. Now, those are just two potential uh, applications of digital manufacturing. Um, some of this is already beginning to happen. Uh, we're starting to see the development of digital market marketplaces uh, that help connect suppliers and customer firms online. Um, it isn't a fully automated, fully integrated process. Um, that's down the road. Uh, we see uh, digital design and, to some extent, digital prototyping now. We Digital testing uh, is something that um, is down the road a bit. So um, some parts of digital manufacturing we're starting to see uh, happen. Other parts uh, are many years away. And the uh, idea behind the uh, Digital Manufacturing Institute is to speed up the development of these technologies and speed up the use of these technologies by uh, companies, both large and small, um, in many industries. So what is this potentially going to do uh, to land use? Well, in the short term, this is probably going to be uh, something that 
mostly large firms engage in. But over the long term, as costs go down, the technologies are better developed, more standardized, uh, you'll start to see a reduction in plant level uh, scale economies and smaller companies will be able to get into the game. And along with that, we'll see the by now familiar uh, potential for a recentralization, reagglomeration uh, of those smaller firms. Um, now, you might think, well, if customers and suppliers can uh, be linked electronically at the touch of a button, uh, doesn't that mean that customers and suppliers are going to disagglomerate from each other, that they don't need to be located near each other? Uh, that uh, a company uh, located here in Chicago can push a button and place an order and have an order delivered from a company halfway around the world. Uh, well, that's certainly potential, as we said before, uh, with some of the other technologies. But on the other hand, uh, you also have the potential for reagglomeration because as customers and suppliers are in closer and closer contact with each other, uh, they're going to develop new ideas, there's going to be uh, more demand for customized products, and customized products are new, uh, non-standardized products. Um, there are all kinds of bugs in their development and their production, and often those bugs need to be worked out between the customer and the supplier face-to-face. Um, -face. Uh, they can't all be worked out electronically. Uh, companies that have tried to do global sourcing um, have uh, increasingly realized that there are costs as well as benefits to uh, having your suppliers uh, located in China uh, when your R&D and your customers are located uh, here in North America. And we can expect similar things to happen uh, as digital manufacturing develops. So there could be a, a potential for uh, disagglomeration uh, between customer and supplier firms, but there's also a potential uh, for reagglomeration. Um, so uh, the impacts of digital manufacturing spatially are, are somewhat uncertain. Uh, there's also a uh, potential demand for, a, a, for skilled production technicians um, to make this digital manufacturing work, and that, of course, could be a location factor uh, for user firms. Um, in particular, uh, metropolitan areas that have both IT and production worker specializations uh, could benefit a lot. And as before, um, with sensing, um, digital manufacturing removes inefficiencies in the production process, so that's uh, going to put a premium on good freight transportation, which could also be a location factor. Um, Last technology we get to is 3D printing, also called additive manufacturing, and you're probably familiar with this. Products are built up from layers of material. Um, instead of taking uh, material and cutting it uh, away and then putting uh, what's left back together, um, you start um, with just the amount of material that you need to make the product. Um, this is already used in rapid prototyping, uh, probably is going to have a small near-term impact on production, but uh, different experts differ on that. Uh, what are the spatial impacts? Well, potentially they're huge, um, but remember, um, they're likely to be limited. Um, uh, as costs fall, um, smaller and smaller manufacturers are going to be able to use digital manufacturing. Uh, factories can be cleaner and quieter, um, so they won't be as undesirable to have as neighbors. Uh, people won't want to live as far away from them. There might be some degree of gentrification of formerly industrial areas, um, maybe not very, very, very high-end gentrification, but maybe a movement of somewhat um, richer households uh, closer to places where manufacturing is done. Uh, labor intensity will go down. Uh, what that means for overall manufacturing employment, we said, is uncertain. You won't need as many machinists and welders because those are the people uh, uh, who uh, bend and cut metal. Um, so you won't need to be located near those kinds of workers. There will be a bigger demand for industrial designers, so that could be a location factor. Um, you know, in transportation of inputs is not as important in manufacturing because you're working with only the inputs that you need for the final product. You don't have the scrap. Um, so what does this all mean? Um, well, there are lots of diverse impacts. Um, if 
I were to generalize, I would say across most of these technologies, there's a general reduction in scale economies, uh, which is going to favor smaller uh, manufacturers and lead to the potential for uh, recentralization of manufacturing. Most of these technologies, with the possible exception of uh, 3D printing, don't make factories uh, nicer to live next to, next to so they, uh, uh, they're not really a force for um, mixing industrial and residential land uses. Uh, many of the technologies create demands for new classes of skilled production workers and the regions where those skilled production workers uh, live, where they're educated or trained, uh, could be ones uh, where uh, the companies that use those technologies tend to locate. And finally, good freight transportation uh, is likely to become more important as a location factor uh, for manufacturing. Uh, so that's all I have. Um, open for questions. Yeah, and just as a reminder, just put your hands up and I'll come to you with, your mic- with this microphone so we can record your questions for the podcast. Don't be shy. As I listened, it seemed to me that uh, uh, many of the points that you were making had to do with uh, distribution uh, throughout a metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any thoughts on uh, the larger regions of the country and uh, whether there might be winners and losers, or do you see uh, effects coming more rapidly to one region than another? Well, I think I I suggested some of those effects, but let me uh, amplify on that. Um, One is that... um, you know, the, the regions of the country that have the best freight transportation are likely to be winners from many of these technologies. Uh, they're likely to attract companies that use uh, these technologies. And ultimately, as the technologies spread, uh, they're likely to be places that attract uh, and retain manufacturing in general. So Chicago has had a, histor- a historic uh, advantage in this area. Um, whether it will maintain that advantage um, you know, is, is up for grabs. Uh, as a, an open question for the future. Um, we also mentioned uh, needs for new categories of workers, um, skilled production technicians. Um, to the extent that those kinds of skills are similar to the kinds of skills that we now see in industrial areas of the country, like much of the Midwest, um, those regions uh, are likely to benefit from the new technologies and likely to uh, see clusters of those kinds of companies uh, locating in the area. Uh, Another thing that we're seeing is uh, the merging of information technology with manufacturing in different ways. Uh, We see that in in digital manufacturing most obviously, but to some extent in 3D printing uh, and advanced sensing uh, as well. And that suggests that Um, regions that have specializations in both uh, information technology employment and um, production employment uh, may benefit particularly from some of these uh, technologies. So I would bet on Rochester, New York, for example, uh, as an important place uh, for uh, many of these uh, kinds of technologies to agglomerate. Thank you very much for stimulating presentation in terms of, you know, future thought. I'm not quite sure where to go with this question, but if you could please comment. Uh, in in China, the Chinese boast about their their high tech agglomeration, if you will, that they have the materials, the various manufacturing facilities, the labor, the technical support, all together, so they can switch back and forth from one technology to another, and so forth. How does that square with what you're presenting here in terms of disagglomeration and, mm-hmm. and how that might be an advantage for industries in the future? Um, you're quite right that uh, the Chinese have, have done a much better job than we have in um, uh, providing uh, the whole range of manufacturing supports in one place. Um, 
So won't all manufacturing just move to China, uh, as many people thought that it would um, about a decade ago? Well, I don't think so. Um, for one thing, labor costs, which um, have always been one of the major um, advantages of production in China, uh, in addition to all these manufacturing support, labor costs are going up in China. And they're probably going up faster than productivity. Uh, so that means that uh, the labor cost advantage uh, of China is going to be reduced over time. Uh, transportation costs over long distances may also be going up. So that's going to be a disincentive to uh, moving to China. Um, manufacturers are increasingly recognizing the coordination costs that I referred to uh, earlier that exist when you try to um, coordinate production with R&D and end use uh, over long distances. Um, you know, an example that is not particularly confined to China, uh, but uh, uh, has been important recently, was Boeing's uh, attempt to um, source the uh, 787 Dreamliner globally. And that ran into uh, a number of uh, problems that, that are now well known and, and well recognized. Um, so I don't think you're going to see uh, all manufacturing move to China. I don't think you're going to see all high-tech manufacturing move to China, because although China um, has become very good at getting up to the technological frontier very quickly, uh, it has not been very good at pushing the technological frontier or advancing the technological frontier. So um, these new technologies are still uh, going to be uh, developed and initially introduced uh, in places other than China. Once they become somewhat more standardized, the Chinese will become uh, early adopters of them. Um, but uh, we won't lose out entirely. Oh, thank you. Uh, as he said, this is uh, certainly inspiring. And one of the questions that uh, that I have, as as you were talking, I'm thinking about those areas with it, particularly within the Midwest and and the Rust Belt areas, brownfield areas. Uh, as as community planners, as regional planners, you know, how could we tie in this in order to um, resolve some of the problems or reutilize some of these areas. Obviously, uh, these resources, the, 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 the old manufacturing centers uh, are uh, defunct, disrepair, uh, vacant. Can they be reused uh, using some of these concepts? And what would you see as the steps to, to do that? What would you tell a regional planner to look for down the line? I would suggest that there, there's real potential in some of the older industrial spaces um, in places like the south and west sides of Chicago, um, where manufacturing has, well, there's still some manufacturing, but uh, much of the manufacturing that made those uh, areas vibrant um, has, has been gone for uh, uh, several decades. Uh, I, th I think you're going to start to see small manufacturers uh, take another look uh, at those places. And some of those small manufacturers will be the, the technologically sophisticated ones. Um, you know, some of this will be, will be cost-driven, um, that you'll have small manufacturers that want all the advantages of being in a big metropolitan area that has a lot of other manufacturing and R&D. Uh, support nearby, uh, but you know they're they're not going to uh, they're not going to outcompete uh, you know the uh, residential and um, commercial uses that you see in places like the Loop or parts of uh, some parts of the North Side. Uh, so they're going to they're they're going to favor uh, some of the slightly further out areas that still have advantages of density. Um, what do they need to do that? Probably better broadband access. Um, probably for some kinds of products, um, uh, better access to transportation, whether that be uh, rail or highway. So those are some of the things I think they, they, they need. Uh, but I think in general that there, there is tremendous potential in those kinds of places. Now, if you're talking about um, you know, much smaller metropolitan areas or non-metropolitan areas that were basically one factory towns, 
um, that have lost those factories. Um, you know, this analysis doesn't suggest uh, that there's quite as much potential for them. Uh, you know, if you think that some of the disagglomerative forces that we talked about are going to be important in some cases, then those places may have uh, you know, may have a manufacturing future. Uh, but ov- overall, uh, I see more of the manufacturing future in uh, metropolitan areas and larger manufacturing, uh, larger metropolitan areas. But perhaps in some of the places uh, that uh, the last fifty years of uh, metropolitan development have disfavored. Um, so um, uh, yeah, that, that's where I would place my bets. Hello. My question is directed um, somewhat following following up on what the gentleman just asked, but it's also going back to the Digital Manufacturing Institute that yeah. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious if you know about any efforts to direct resources, whether they're training or or even the manu- actual manufacturing of things itself to the higher unemployment areas that kind of are around and located nearby. Um, if, what's your sense of that? Because... I mean, how is this affecting the rest of us, I should say? Yeah, the, um, you know, digital manufacturing, you know, many people think about digital manufacturing or some of these other uh, emerging technologies and, and think that uh, they, they really only mean jobs and incomes for um, highly skilled workers, uh, engineers, um, scientists, and so on. Uh, but there is going to be much more uh, demand from these technologies as they uh, come online uh, for uh, for production workers, and those production workers don't need to have uh, college degrees. Uh, they certainly don't need to have advanced degrees. Uh, they may not even need to have um, two-year degrees. Um, so I think there is potential there. The challenge is uh, you know, is to connect uh, disadvantaged communities to uh, those jobs, and that's something. That that is going to be worked on. Uh, part of the Digital Manufacturing and Design Institute uh, proposal from this region uh, was a workforce development uh, proposal, and we don't know what all the details of that are going to be. Um, but there is a workforce development component, and that component will not just be confined to engineers and scientists, uh, but it will uh, also uh, be directed at um, less advantaged workers, giving them access to uh, these better jobs that may come along with the new technologies. So it hasn't really been worked out very uh, very carefully yet, uh, but it should be. Um, and um, you know, for those of us who uh, hope to be involved with uh, the new institute, uh, uh, it should be one of our priorities. Um, so policy suggestions for emerging smaller firms, industry-specific, do you have any? So, you, For the companies? Uh, yeah, well, so if I'm a municipality in a metro, mm-hmm. and, I mean, we've done this on a larger scale, but if we're expecting smaller firms um, to be showing up more and more, how can I, as a municipality within a metro, specific, uh, attract a specific industry, I suppose? So... There are a number of things uh, that you'll need. Um, smaller companies basically do very little of their own R&D, unless they're spinoffs from, uh, from university labs. And even then, it's kind of limited. So um, you know, this is not something that an individual municipality can really help them with, but um, it's something that can be done at the regional level, uh, the Digital Manufacturing Institute and these other um, uh, manufacturing innovation institutes are examples of things that can help um, bridge that gap for small and medium-sized manufacturers, uh, helping them you know, doing the all kinds of R&D that they need, uh, in addition to connecting disadvantaged communities uh, with the jobs that are ultimately promised to come out of these technologies. One of the other things uh, that uh, those of us who uh, hope to be involved with the institutes uh, will will need is to uh, make sure that um, small and medium-sized manufacturers do connect to the institutes and that the institutes uh, will be doing uh, the kinds of work that will benefit the uh, small and medium-sized companies, not only uh, the large companies. 
Um, you know, there's a workforce development component, as we suggested before, and that's something that can be done at the regional level, um, at the county level, um, uh, and even at, uh, at more decentralized levels. Um, you know, those are some important things. Uh, in land use, uh, you want to make sure that, that you have um, spaces that are available and accessible to uh, small companies. Um, so when you think about zoning for manufacturing, you're not necessarily thinking only about um, creating you know, huge area, contiguous areas of land uh, on which big factories are, are going to be built. Um, you can use smaller areas that are going to be somewhat separated from, uh, you know, from housing um, and from at least some commercial areas, but uh, um, uh, those areas can be uh, accessible to small and medium-sized companies. And that, uh, you know, in some municipalities, that's going to require a, a rethinking over time um, of, of zoning patterns. Well, I think for the sake of time, let that be the final word. Let's have a round of applause for Howard Weil. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Howard Weil for a thought-provoking and informative program on new manufacturing technologies and spatial development. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.